Hey, Rockbridge, I hope y'all are having a great Thanksgiving week or weekend, depending on if you're watching this at one of our six locations or maybe you're tuned in online because you were traveling or whatever reason. We're just glad that you're here, and we want you to believe that you are here for a reason, a reason that God's got something for you, and he's going to show you something, give you something, direct your path, help your heart, help your attitude based on who he is for us in his son, Jesus Christ. All right, so we're finishing up this series called Unfollow, and we said, hey, we're all following followers. We're followers by nature. We want to follow someone. We want to follow something. Sometimes we're told to follow our heart. We're told to follow our gut. We follow people on social media. We follow politics. We follow sports teams. We just follow. But we also said that, hey, our Savior King, Jesus, gives us an incredible invitation to follow Him. And what we're learning is that oftentimes, if we're going to follow Him, we're going to have to unfollow some other things. So today, we're going to talk about something that's really just a part of our humanity that is so easy to follow. But when we really understand what it means to follow Jesus, we'll have to unfollow this. So let's just talk about a little bit our culture. First of all, we all know we live in a culture that is continually dissatisfied. I mean, there's whole bunches of people that try to get you and I to buy products that we don't necessarily need or have to have, but, we're, but they create a, a sense of dissatisfaction or, hey, life could be better if you had this or life would be better if you had more of this. And so we're fueled by society in dissatisfaction where we want more and we're frustrated often, where whether it's I want this product, I, I, we're frustrated in our job or life or marriage. We also live in a culture that is in constant comparison. And, and here's the challenge with that. You know, we're few, it's fueled by social media, <clears throat> but we look at other people, and man, if I had their life, I had their car, if I had their marriage, and, and it convinces us that, hey, this is what it means to be happy, or this is what it means to be successful, or this is what fullness or the great life or the good life looks like. And if we're not there, there's this inner frustration or bitterness or, sin, or cynicism that, that creeps in because we just compare ourselves with other people or to some standard based upon our society or our upbringing. So we live in this constant state of comparison. We also live in a, live in a culture that's shaped by consumerism. And consumerism I, is kind of, I am what I have. I am what I can acquire. I am what I can get. And we go through life and Sometimes we even come to church like we go shopping, and we're constantly shoppers looking out for a good deal or looking out for something that scratches uh, our, our itch and satisfies something or offers us something because of what we don't have. And then finally, we live in a world that's broken, and we all know this, and that brokenness creates burdens, and it creates fears and anxieties and stresses. And what happens when you add all of these things together from the culture we live in to the world that we're a part of is that it means the normal, natural, and expected result is that we complain and that we're complainers. And today, we're going to see if we can't learn how to unfollow this because so many of us, we follow our complaining and it keeps us in a constant state of, of dissatisfaction, when Jesus promises us, you and I, his joy, and Jesus, uh, Jesus's joy is complete and perfect, and yet we, we live in a world that encourages us to complain, and we complain ourselves away from the joy that Jesus offers us. 
complaining creates a whole host of problems, a whole host of issues, but it's normal, it's natural, and it's sort of expected. Hey, when, you, when someone says, hey, what's going on with you? Really, once you get past the niceties, the next thing is something you're complaining about in your life, whether it's your sports team or it's the health situation or it's the boss you work for. It's just normal, natural, and expected. And so let's see if we can uh, diagnose this problem and then unfollow it and follow a different path. So this shows up early in Scripture, shows up early in Scripture. We're going to journey with the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt, and God has rescued them. And so here's chapter 14, how it ends as God has delivered them through the Red Sea from the advancing Egyptian army. It says, that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hand of the Egyptians that day. And when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him. And they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And this is all very important. God has done something. It captured their attention. They were filled with awe. They put faith and trust in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now, after chapter 14 comes chapter 15. Now, after this summation, what would you expect? Yeah, you would expect praise and you would expect thanksgiving. You expect, man, God is awesome and life is good and we're moving forward. And then one chapter after that in chapter 16, the wheels come off. And, and, and they resort to this thing that's so natural, normal, expected, this thing called complaint. Notice what happens. So the entire community departs from Elim and comes to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. So we're not too far from the massive parting of the Red Sea and God rescuing his people. We're not too far away chronologically from God, one of God's most magnificent, gracious, redemptive acts in all of recorded history, which is the Exodus and the Passover. And look what happens. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness because they thought they didn't have enough food. And the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. They spent years praying for God to get them out of Egypt. And now that they're out of Egypt by a miraculous, gracious, powerful act of a sovereign God, hey, we just want to go back to where we were because when we were there, we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. And so what's so normal, natural, and expected comes out of them and complaining emerges literally weeks away from this amazing supernatural deliverance that God has provided them. And so you just sort of get underneath complaining a little bit. Sometimes complaining comes from this. It should not be this way. And really, that can lead to a very redemptive and healthy ambition where we're literally saying, you know, God, your will is not being done on earth. It is in heaven. God, use us to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. So when, it, when something's not been done this way, the better word is not complaining, it's lamenting. Where we lament maybe the state of orphans or children. We lament that we have racism. We lament an orphan crisis. We lament debilitating poverty. We lament injustice, right? And, and then from lament is when we take a complaint to God to get God's perspective, which fuels our hope. 
Lament for, as a form of complaining can also breed holy discontentment like Nehemiah when he discovers the walls of his hometown, the capital city of Jerusalem are in, are in crumbles and rumble and, and, and rubble. And he's like, hey, this should not be this way. God, use me to do something about it. And that leads to prayer, and it might lead to a holy calling. Might lead to a holy calling. So this is one of the roots that leads to a really holy ambition. But we're going to focus on some other roots of complaining, where it, which is this. I want it now. I deserve more, and I want it my way. And let's just be honest. Most of us complain more about a, a preference of ours not being met, a team of ours not performing up to our standard, a relationship where our expectations are not being met. We complain more about those things than we do about God's will actually not being done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is the complaint, the root of the complaint that we're seeking to follow. I want it now, I deserve it more, and I want it my way. And, and here's what we have to recognize. When we say those things, those are actually heart conditions, heart conditions where our heart sees something it doesn't have, like Adam and Eve saw the forbidden fruit in the garden and God had offered all this other stuff. They said, no, no, but I want this now. I want it mine. I need it, right? And then complaining, though, is so often a, folk, a product of our focus and perspective that we focus on what we don't have. We focus on what we want. We focus on the fact that our way is not being done or not being followed. Or if I were in charge or if I had the power, I would do this and I would do that. And, and so we just have to see that and we have to see that hey, complaining is more indicative of something wrong inside of us than something wrong out there in the world. And that's key because we'd rather look out the window and point out what's wrong, what we want, what we don't have, than look in the mirror. And when we see complaining as a heart problem first and foremost, then it poises us to unfollow it and to see that there's something wrong when we do follow it because complaining is a product of what we're focused on and how we're looking at things. Hey, but before we unfollow complaint, I want us to follow complaint. Let, let's do this for a second. I, I know I'm, we're in a whole series called Unfollow. I get it. But let's follow complaint because complaint says something about God or it says something about who we perceive God to be. Or it says something about our relationship with God. So I want to go back to Exodus 16, and let's look at when God responds to the people's grumbling and complaining. He says to Moses, he goes, look, I'm going to take care of the people. That was never, I didn't bring them out of Egypt just to have them starve here. But so he says, look, I'm going to rain bread from heaven from you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. This way, I will test them to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. So something about the circumstances and their complaining and God's provision comes back to, will they trust me enough to follow me? Will they trust me enough to unfollow their complaint and follow me as the covenant-keeping God that, he, that I am, that he is? On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it'll be twice as much as they gather on the other day so they didn't have to work on the Sabbath. 
So Moses and Aaron says, say to all the Israelites, this evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the Lord's glory because he has heard your complaints about him. Now, they were directing the complaints about their leadership, their earthly, their political, military, prophetic leadership of Moses and Aaron. And God said, no, no, they're actually complaining about me, Moses. They're actually complaining about my way and my provision and how I am leading them. And Moses and Aaron say, for who are we that you complain about us? So if we were to query our complaint and to say, hey, what is it really saying? What is my complaining really saying about my God or the God I say I believe in? It, it, it could be a couple of things. Is it saying that God is not good, that God is not sovereign and, control, and in control, or that God is not wise? See, I think a lot of us, we complain because we're not God and we're faced in a, with a situation or a circumstance that reminds us of we're not God. And in our minds, we go, man, if I were God, this is what I would let happen. This is what I would bring about. And I for sure wouldn't let that happen. And so by inadvertently or by, by um, implication, we're really saying, well, God's not good, smart enough, and in, and in control enough. Uh, another thing that our complaint could be saying is maybe I've got a better plan than God's which takes us really back to the original sin that made us rebels and traitors against the God who created a perfect creation. And it was us thinking we had a better plan than God when we took the forbidden fruit, and we've all taken forbidden fruit, right? And that, that caused the whole mess to begin with. And then lastly, and this is where maybe a lot of us as Christians don't want to go, but maybe I have a God, little g, other than the big G God of the Bible. Maybe my God is favorable circumstances or health. Maybe my God is money. Maybe my God is this other person. Maybe my God is, is America. Maybe my God is something other than God himself as revealed in the scriptures and as manifested in creation and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to ask our complaint some tough questions so we really get to the root of it so we can see how serious it is and we can see what we need to do. Now, so what, what is a better starting point? What is a better starting point? And what did Israel get wrong here in the desert? The better starting point is what has God done for undeserving people? You know, in our self-esteem culture, we really want to think that we all deserve certain things. But in God's mindset and in God's economy, we're all undeserving, which means the only way he can relate to us is either through judgment and wrath, which is what we rightly deserve because we were traitors and we said, God, I'll do it my way because my way is better than your way. And we complain against God's way, right? So he can relate to us in judgment and wrath, or he can relate to us in grace and mercy. And the story of Israel and the story of the church is how God wants to relate to us in grace and mercy and how he made provision to satisfy his judgment, justice, and wrath through the death of his own son on the cross. So we don't have to face judgment, justice, and wrath. We can receive grace and mercy. So a better place to start is what God has done for undeserving people. And the second place is what has God promised to his faithful people that stay with him and stick with him. And see, this is where Israel 
has some spiritual amnesia. And if we're not, if we're all honest on this Thanksgiving week, one of the reasons we need a whole, we need this day, this week, this time in our lives is because we're forgetful. And Israel was no different. Look at what they forgot. God made this amazing promise to them. And then there's other promises he made prior to this one, but he says, he says this, he goes, I'm going to claim you, the Israelites, as my own people, and I'll be your God. And then you will know that I'm the Lord, your God, when he, when, who has freed you from your oppressor in Egypt. And I will bring you into the land I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So all these forefathers, these giants of the faith, they all had a promise that God was going to bring them to this land, provide, and he was going to be their God. And he goes, I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So if they'd uh, remembered this promise, as soon as they stepped out, on the dry, or stepped out of the Red Sea and, and the channel that he had made and were on this land, and they're not thinking, oh, my goodness, God's not going to provide. They forgot what God had done in the Exodus and what he had promised to do when he promised he would be their people. And, and so what they lost in the complaint or what complaining replaced was it replaced their faith in the fact that God was going to be their God. And we go to the New Testament to understand faith and look at this incredible understanding of faith. The last part of Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 11, writing to a group of Christians, he says, you suffered and you accepted it with joy. <clears throat> now, now, in our modern mind, we're, no, 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 no. When I suffer, I complain. When I suffer, I get mad. When I suffer, somebody's got to fix it. When I suffer, they are to blame. But you suffered and you accepted it with joy. Why? Because you knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. And this is where God deals with us in better things that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord, the author says. He goes, remember the great reward it brings to you. And patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. So when we're tempted to complain, the antidote is to remember the great reward. The antidote is to remember the better things that are waiting for us that will last forever because most of us complain about temporary, fleeting, and ultimately futile, futile things. So don't throw away this confidence, but patient, patient endurance. And then here's the definition of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see because it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So when we complain, we're eliminating faith. We're, uh, we're forgetting what God has done and what he's promised to do, and we're eliminating what we're hoping for. We're eliminating Trust, confidence in God and living by patient endurance that God will be our God and he, he's, that he doesn't change. And so this, under, this, this understanding of faith helps us to see that, that complaining is really a form of unbelief or a form of lack of faith. It's normal, natural, expected to complain. But we're, when we're called to be people of faith and to walk by faith, not by sight, we see that complaining is the opposite of that. So if I am following my complaint, I am not following my God or the God of the Bible. And here's the formula that God always works in our lives. Here's how God always causes and creates faith in us and sustains faith, okay? Past acts of grace plus promises of more grace in the future gives me faith in the present and hope for that future. So past acts of grace, 
God led them out of Egypt, led them through the Red Sea. Past acts of grace, God was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promises of future grace, God promised they would have land. God promised, why we call it the promised land, that he would be their God and he would be their people. And those two things coupled together give us that patient endurance, that faith in the present, and hope that, hey, the best is yet to come because I'm following God. If I'm complaining in the now, I'm believing the best is behind me or the best is out of reach of me. And that is not the God we follow. And that is not the God who's revealed himself in scripture, in creation, and in the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. So, so there's cascading problems that happen when we complain, okay? Here's how it cascades, like layers of a waterfall. We forget or we overlook what God has done. We allow what's going on to become greater than what God has done, and we allow what's going on to become greater than what God has promised to do. So for Israel, they forgot or they overlooked, hey, God just parted the Red Sea. God just made I-75 through the Red Sea, and here you are complaining about food. So they forgot that, and then the fact that there was some kind of food shortage or perceived food shortage, they let that become greater than what God had done or what God had promised to do when he promised to take them to the promised land and be their God. And then the final thing is when you have faltering faith and waning hope, all you have left is you just complain. That's all you can do. So here's the question for us, okay? What's the alternative? Well, what's the alternative when it's normal, natural, and expected to complain? What's the alternative? So I want to show us an alternative by going through some Psalms so that we find in the the book of Psalms, middle of our Bibles. I love this because he talks to his soul. He talks to the very depth of his soul. He's, not, he's, he's, he's just really deep, reflective. He says, my soul, bless the Lord and all that's within me. Bless his holy name, my soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. Recognizing that one of our problems is forgetfulness. Another psalm says, I will remember the Lord's works. I'm not going to forget what God has done. Yes, I will remember your ancient wonders. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. God, I'm going to think deeply about what you have done and how you've acted. And then the product of deep thinking and deep remembering of what God has done is I will thank the Lord with all my heart, and I will declare all your wondrous works. So the more we meditate and reflect on what God has done, the more gratitude and thankfulness emerges from our heart. In Psalm 26, 7, he says it this way, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. So so it's to say this, if the Israelites had stopped and thought about what God had done for them as a people, they would have become thankful instead of becoming complainers. And and we even get this principle in the New Testament. Paul says it this way. He says, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in everything, for this is what God wants for you. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, when I read these scriptures, it it reminds me of a couple of things that's so powerful and it's so easy to forget. The first one is this. We can always find something to thank God for. Always. His works, his character, what he's done, who he is, 
and his promises of what he promises to do in the future. Always find something to thank God for. And thankfulness, like complaining, is a product of focus. If we put our mind on what we don't have right now, what we think we want most right now or need the most right now, if we put our mind solely on how bad our day went or how bad this season is, then what's going to come out is complaining, not thankfulness. But there's so much to be thankful for in God, from God, and what will come from the hand, the gracious hand of God, that if we focus more on God, who He is, what He's done, what He promises to do, thankfulness is the supernatural byproduct of that. But here's the challenge. Biblical thanksgiving is deep and serious and therefore not normal. See, most of us, were so hurried, so rushed, so busy, we live like in a 24-hour time capsule, and, it, and, and we never pause to preach to our soul. We never pause to get our soul to focus on the wondrous works of God. And, and so the reason we're, our thankfulness is fleeting and the reason, hey, we're thankful one minute and complaining and murmuring and grumbling the next is because we never get deep and serious and pause long enough and look hard enough at the gracious things God has done, is doing, and has promised to do. And that's why we never get to, we, we have so much complaining going on and we have to step back to unfollow that. So if we're just going to give us some handlebars for gratitude and thanksgiving, let me offer a few things. First is this. Thanksgiving should not be built on comparison with others. Because sometimes you'll be frustrated at what they have or what, who, they, who you think they are and what you don't have. But other times is we seem to a lot of times build our thankfulness on a it-could-be-worse model. Have you ever said this? Well, it could be a lot worse. Have you ever said to your kids, you know, when you're trying to get them to eat food, you talk to them about starving kids in Africa? And, and when we build thankfulness on it, and it could be worse model, here's the problem with that. Because it can get worse. The world we live in is fallen, it's broken. And we're not promised uh, th- that we will never suffer. We're not promised that we won't have and so when we build Thanksgiving on a comparison model, really, we, we, we always have in the back of our mind, well, what if it does get worse? And we're building worry and fear and suspicion into our mindset and into our mind mentality. But if we look at what God has done and who we are in Christ, which is more than conquerors, more than conquerors means we're not complainers, we're victors, then we have a model for Thanksgiving. And we're propelled away from complaining. We have to recognize Thanksgiving is a discipline. It's a habit. It requires routine. It requires focus. It's deep and serious. That what if we approach Thanksgiving like we approach working out or going to work or taking a shower or brushing our teeth? That it's part of a discipline, something we do determinedly with something we do with consistency in order to produce a mindset and an attitude that stays with us, that stays with us. Thanksgiving guards the mind. I, I miss this in Scripture, that there's so many things coming at us, deceptions, deceits, dangers, distractions. There's so many things coming at us from the, the, the technology world, the information age, social media, the 24-hour news cycle, 
constantly being bombarded with app notifications and text messages, so many things coming at us. Is it any wonder that many of us get hooked in a negativity cycle? Is it any wonder that so many of us get hooked into suspicion and bitterness and what comes out of our mouth is not thanksgiving and praise, but complaint? But see what Paul prescribes to one of his churches, church at Colossae, that was bombarded with Gnosticism and false teaching. Listen to what he does. Listen to what he says. He says, listen, you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to walk in him. Continue to follow him. Continue to be faithful in him. Keep your trust in him. Being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. There's always something to thank God for. And what we thank God for is always greater than what's wrong in us and around us. That's how big and transcendent He is and how prevailing His grace is. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Now, look at what this is designed to prevent. So when we're overflowing with gratitude, look what He says. Now be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than Christ. Could it be that because we've forgotten how to be consistently filled with gratitude, overflowing with gratitude, could it be this is why there's so much discouragement There's so many people who walk away from Christ. There's so many people buying into a political savior, political solution. There's so many people who are taken up with prosperity gospel and teachers who promise false things that Jesus' blood never bought. Because we moved away from the Christ we received or the Christ that's presented in the gospel. That we didn't continue to walk in him, focused on him growing in love of him and for him, and we forgot to be thankful. So be careful that no one takes you captive. Thanksgiving guards the mind. Thanksgiving is also part of our witness and our mission strategy. See, God leaves us in this world to be what? Ambassadors and witnesses. It's hard to be an ambassador and a witness when you resent your mission field. It's hard to be an ambassador and a witness when you constantly question the state of affairs, shake your head, wag your finger, wish you'd been born at another time or another place. And when we do that as Christians, we are putting God's sovereignty and his grace on the witness stand. And we're not bearing witness to the goodness of God as revealed in Scripture and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're actually causing people to question God. We're actually causing people to to doubt the God we follow. But listen to how thanksgiving and how a lack of complaining makes us salty, magnetic, and attractive witnesses who point to the attractive, glorious, gracious God. Listen to what Paul says. He says, God is working in you. Never forget that. God's working in you. Let's be thankful for that. He's working in you both to will and to work according to his purpose. So do everything without grumbling and arguing or without complaining. 
so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. So we stand out. Why do we stand out? Because God has worked for us, God is working in us, and God is working through us. And we don't complain. We trust, we overflow with gratitude, and we shine like stars in the world. And then the last thing, the last thing. When it comes to Thanksgiving, never forget the giver, God, is also the gift. It's also the gift. See, what if like married couples, what if we had these rings and we were more thankful for the rings than the relationship with our spouses that the rings represent? See, it's so easy to take what God has given or to focus on what he's not giving than it is to focus on the fact that, hey, the ultimate and greatest gift is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And that gift, Scripture describes it as indescribable. So this Thanksgiving, and as we turn toward Christmas, may we all be reminded that the greatest thing God can give is himself, and he has through his son Jesus and through his spirit who reveals Jesus to us. If you're listening, you're watching, you're here today, and you've never received this indescribable gift of Jesus, why not now give Christ your sins, the steering wheel of your life, and put your faith and trust in him? If you're here today and you recognize that the accent that you speak in is one of complaining, maybe today is a day of repentance to you and renewal for you as you are reminded of all God has done for you in his son, Jesus Christ. So my soul, let's preach to our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray together. God, I thank you today just for you. God, we, uh, we, many of us could thank you for our health, our houses, our cars, our jobs. Many of us could thank you for our families, our kids, Many of us could thank you, God, that we have a TV, we have a roof over our head. But God, we all recognize that those things are fleeting and those things eventually will pass. But God, you are faithful and you endure forever. So today, God, we want to thank you for you. Because Father, you sent your son to die for us and to die instead of us so you could relate and act graciously and mercifully toward us. Thank you for Jesus. And Father and Son, you have sent your Spirit to fill us. You've sent your Spirit to communicate the love of God, the Father, to our hearts. You've sent your Spirit to give us power so we can live not as complainers, but as more than conquerors. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for you. And it's in your name we pray today. Amen.